every conversion that you make, Facebook will get smarter and it will go out and find people in that target audience that are similar to the people that are converting right now. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Krantz, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. Hello and welcome back to episode number 48 of Perpetual Traffic. Today, it's time for a Q&A, all right? What we're gonna do today is all three of us, Ralph, Molly, and myself are gonna be answering your questions on today's episode. So we, we actually each recorded separate this time. And so we're gonna get right into it. And basically on today's episode, we're gonna be answering a few questions. Questions like how to choose the best objective for your campaign how to generate appointments for a dental office, step-by-step process for reducing cost per conversion, some great stuff about retargeting lists and lookalike audiences as well. I think you're really going to enjoy this session. And we've got a couple great guests coming your way that I think you're really going to enjoy. One of them is Jennifer Sheehan, who is doing some work with the White House now and ran campaigns for the Barack Obama campaign back when Barack Obama was elected and is doing a ton of stuff with small businesses and medium-sized businesses now. Dennis Yu, who's going to be coming on as well, who has been one of my mentors from day one of Facebook ads and is running Facebook ads for the Golden State Warriors right now and has worked with a ton of brands you have heard of, but also has a ton of experience with small and medium-sized businesses. So let's get into today's episode. Molly's going to lead it off, then Ralph's going to go second, then I'm going to go third. But first of all, when Ralph goes, he uses the acronyms CPA and KPI quite a bit. So just in case you missed that or don't know what that means, CPA stands for cost per acquisition. That's the cost per acquisition that you are measuring with your Facebook ads. It could be cost per lead. It could be cost per registration. It could be cost for sale, you know, per checkout. Your CPA is your main conversion goal that you're measuring. And then KPI is key performance indicator. So it's the main kind of metrics that you're looking at that are helping you make the biggest decisions. And let's get right into it. And we'll let Molly take it away. Hey guys, Molly Pittman here. I'm going to lead off with question one. It's from Manuel. And he says, what's the best advice for using Facebook traffic to generate first time appointments for a dental clinic? It's funny. And I picked this question because actually yesterday I was scrolling through my newsfeed and I saw an ad from a local dentist in Austin. There really wasn't anything special about the ad. It was a stock photo of a family. The copy was pretty straight to the point, but the offer that they made and obviously their local targeting and the type of ad they used were really what I thought was impressive. So we've talked about this before. But they were making a great offer to acquire new first-time clients. And so the offer was a free teeth whitening if you're a new patient and you have that first exam and x-rays. So they're giving away a free whitening session to acquire new patients. Very, very smart. When you clicked on the ad, it was actually a lead ad. So my first and last name and my phone number was already filled in to the lead ad. And I submitted my information because I was actually interested in this. They called Austinites, so people that lived in Austin, they called them out in the ad copy and they made a very simple offer to get new clients in the door. Very smart. Along those lines and really lead ads in general, what's important 
isn't just acquiring the lead. With lead ads, you really have to focus on the follow-up process also. And that's where I was really impressed with this dentist. Um, So I was driving to work this morning and I submitted my information last night and eight o'clock this morning, I get a call from their office asking me to go ahead and schedule the exam. So their follow-up was very prompt. The lady was very nice and I scheduled an appointment. So keep in mind, when you're using lead ads in general, especially for a local business, make sure that your follow-up process is in place and that it's effective. We've been using lead ads over the past few weeks to generate leads for Digital Marketer HQ, which is a monthly membership for our certifications. It's for teams, so people that manage teams of two or more. So we've actually been using five to six form fields in the lead ads. We're asking people for their first name, last name, email address, phone number, their company name, their job title. We're asking how many employees they have in their business. And we're also asking them to describe the effectiveness of their marketing team. So it's a drop down that gives them four different options to describe their marketing team. So those have been working really, really well to generate initial interest in this product. But if we didn't have a follow-up on the back, right, after we generate these leads, then we have a lead dev representative who's actually emailing these people promptly to get them to schedule a call with one of our sales representatives. So it's really important when using lead ads, again, that you have a proper follow-up process because if they opt in and submit their information and you wait a week um, and don't contact them, the leads are going to get cold. Same thing, if they opt in for an offer, you know, I'm opting in for, for this free teeth whitening and exam, and then they call me and they don't mention anything about the free teeth whitening, then that's also going to be confusing because there's not consistency in the offer. So I know this started out as how to generate leads for a local dentist, and it really turned into a bit about lead ads. But I think that that would be a great way to go about lead generation for a local business. And of course, it can work even if you're not local. As you can see, we're making it work here at Digital Marketer. Number two is a question that we got from Facebook Ads University. And uh, this is a question from Josh Marsden. Hopefully I'm pronouncing his name correctly and not completely butchering it. But his question was, step-by-step instructions on reducing cost per lead on the Facebook ad campaign side which could probably be an entire episode. And actually it was a couple of times. We have talked about that in previous episodes, especially episodes 41, 42, and 43, where we dissect this really in depth as far as what kind of metrics and what sort of individual uh, data points that you can use to give you an indication as to what to do next in a campaign. But let's take a step back from that for the answer to this question and just really look at this in sort of three different ways. When you launch a campaign, you'll start off a campaign with sort of whatever your offer is. Let's say it's a lead magnet. 
And then inside that campaign, you're going to have a bunch of different ad sets. And the way that we structure things typically is we will typically structure it with, you know, your campaign is the offer, but then the individual ad sets have individual interests or audiences where you can target specifically those specific interests. So let's say you're going after something in the digital marketing space. Maybe one of your audiences inside your first ad set is digital marketer Ryan Dice. You know, maybe your ad set for your number two is Frank Kern and Evan Pagan or something like that. And then number three is Gary Vaynerchuk. And then number four, you just kind of go through individual interests. So this is typically how we structure our campaigns. We usually do individual interests that speak to the specific avatar, speak to the specific offer. And through interest research and audience insights, which we've gone through in a number of different uh, episodes here on Perpetual Traffic, we'll start going through these and break them out into individual interests and put those interests in individual ad sets. So in the past, we've usually done it so that we have a number of different ads inside an ad set. But what we found is that Facebook, and I think if anyone here is, has been running ads for any length of time, you notice that Facebook always picks a winner. So what we've started to do, and this is sort of going back to the days where there was not a thing called an ad set in the Facebook ads manager. There was really campaigns and there was ads. If you can remember back to those days, it was two plus years ago, I believe. And what we used to do and we would launch a campaign is we would launch 200 campaigns with maybe one ad in each campaign. And each campaign was its own interest. So we've actually gone back to this strategy quite a bit in the last couple of months because it gives us a fair amount of control. So we might, instead of just using uh, one offer with one campaign and then having three different placements like desktop newsfeed, mobile newsfeed, right-hand column, what we're starting to do is breaking out those individual campaigns into the individual placements. And then we have a greater level of control over placement as well as ads. So for example, in that example that I just used, we have 20 ad sets, one interest each, but maybe a couple of different ads in each ad set. What we're now doing is we are splitting out those individual ad sets with an individual ad maybe three ad copies that were split testing with the same image, or maybe three ad copies, three images. So those would be nine ad sets, nine ads. So you're giving yourself a much better level of control over your cost per lead or your cost per acquisition. And you're really testing for one thing at a time. So depending on the complexity of the client account, in our case, through our agency, we'll oftentimes structure things this way. If it's a, if it's a fast campaign, we might throw you know, all the three different placements into the same ad set and actually test it out that way. Facebook typically will choose mobile over desktop as well as right-hand column. But in most cases, you know, you will get a measure of success setting up your campaigns that way. So it depends on how much work you want to do on the front end. Obviously, if you're setting up nine different ads for the same interest grouping in nine different ad sets and you're testing 20 different individual interests, that does get a little bit unwieldy. That's about 180 ad sets. And in many cases, we do do that. So 
depending on what your budget is, if your budget is larger, you might want to start that way. If it's smaller, just break it out into individual ad sets and maybe one ad or maybe two ads per ad set. And that way you've got a level of control. And then really what we do is to optimize is we start running the ads at maybe a moderate budget. And let's say our tolerable cost per acquisition is $5. Like we want to get a lead for $5 or less. What we'll do is we'll set all those ad sets at a $10 per day budget so that we know by the end of two days, the most that we've spent in that ad set is twice our cost per acquisition key performance indicator. So we've got a, a lot of measure of control. So we know as soon as we set that ad set live in the first day, we might get maybe a conversion, maybe we get two conversions, maybe we get three conversions, four conversions, whatever it happens to be, you'll get a very good idea as to which individual interest and which individual ad set and which individual ad is the one that's working best for you. And then it's really just a matter of identifying those ad sets and those ads that are the ones that are either above your KPI or below. So we do it very simply. Looking at it, you've got three different choices. You either maximize it, you minimize it, or you optimize it. Let's say you've got an ad set that's spent $20 by day two. So that means that your cost per lead is $4. So your tolerable cost per lead is $5. So that would be an ad set that we'd probably let run maybe another day or so. And then we'd start slowly increasing that budget anywhere from you know 10 to 15% every three days to 50% every three days, depending on how big the budget is. And then let those continue to expand out and keep a very close eye on your CPAs to make sure that they stay below your $5 level. Now, the ones after day two, or maybe after day one that are haven't gotten any conversions, let's say you have an ad set that has you know a $10 a day budget, like we said, okay? But then after the first two days, it hasn't even got one conversion. So you've probably spent upwards of $20, that's one that you would just completely pause. So that's one we would minimize. So the first one we would maximize, the second one, in this case, we would minimize. And maybe that one got one conversion or maybe two conversions. So your KPI, your CPA KPI is now either $10 or maybe $20. That's over where $5 is for you. So you would minimize that ad set and that ad. Now, the ones that are in the middle, maybe you've got some that are in the $5 to $10 range. You've got some potential ad sets that are working pretty well, but not quite where you need them to be. They're not under your KPI, which is $5 in this instance. So what do you do in that case? Well, in that case, you would optimize them. So you got minimize, you got maximize, and you've got optimize. So an optimization that you might want to do in this particular case is that that interest grouping and that ad is doing pretty well for you. So you might want to rewrite the ad, write a new ad with similar ad copy, maybe a slight variation, maybe a new image. You might look into your data. If you've got more than you know, maybe five or seven days of data, maybe there's some demographic differences. Maybe females between the ages of 35 and 54 are responding to your ad and are giving you a $2 CPA instead of, you know, the overall ad set is giving you, you know, anywhere between five and $10. So maybe you would create another ad set specific for that age demographic. In that case, females 35 to 54. Those ones that are sort of in the middle they're the ones that we try to optimize because they're close to our KPI. They're close to where our cost per lead is, but you don't want to give up on them quite yet. Really, there's three ways to look at it. Keep a tight control over your campaign structure and your architecture. 
That's the first thing. Second thing is maximize your winners by adding budget to it 15 to 50% every three days or so, depending on what your budget is. Sometimes we get more aggressive, sometimes we're less aggressive. Minimize the ones that are well above your CPA KPI, which is in this case, our example was $5. Let's say we've got an ad set that's at $10 or $20. Usually anything that's 2X, our tolerable CPA KPI, are ones that we want to pause. So we minimize that one. But then the ones that are sort of in the middle are around $5, maybe between five and seven or $8 you're getting for a cost per lead or a CPA, then you'll want to optimize those, create new ad copy, maybe throw in some new images, look at your demographics, you know, look at if you have all placements, if you have right-hand column, desktop, as well as mobile newsfeed, figure out which ones through your reporting, which ones are converting below your $5 level, and then create a new ad set around that. And then don't give up on that interest because it's obviously one that you need to optimize instead of just adding budget to. So really simple way to look at it, three different ways, keep your campaign structure tight, watch your reporting, especially in the first 24, 48, 72 hours when you launch a campaign. And that's when you're going to find your winners and, uh, and minimize your losers and then optimize the ones that are in the middle. So thanks, Josh, for the question. And hopefully that was helpful. Thank you, Ralph. And thank you, Molly, as well. So let's get into number three again. This is Keith with you again. And number three is a question that we get all the time from people in all of our different communities. And it's what's the best objective I should use? What's the best objective should I use if I'm trying to sell a physical product? What's the best objective I should use if I'm running a video ad? What's the best objective I should use if I'm running traffic to a blog post or a lead magnet? First of all, the one piece of advice I'm going to give you is to keep it simple and don't try to manipulate the algorithm. Just think about what your goal is, what your actual goal is, and use the objective that is most closely related to the goal that you're trying to accomplish. So for example, if you're trying to sell physical products, then you're probably going to want to use website conversions. They've got to be on your website and they've got to make a purchase. And as long as you can place the Facebook pixel on the confirmation page, so after they buy that product or after they opt in, they land on a thank you page, a confirmation page. As long as you can track conversions, as long as you have access to that page and you can put Facebook's tracking pixel on there, the Facebook pixel, which we went deep into on the last episode, episode number 47, as long as you can do that, then you can track conversions and Facebook will get smarter and smarter and smarter. Every conversion that you make, Facebook will get smarter and it will go out and find people in that target audience that are similar to the people that are converting right now. So when you're using the website conversions objective, we've found in a lot of cases that big audiences work really well. And real recently, we've been targeting even bigger, bigger, massive audiences like, you know, 10 million plus in some cases. And it's working really well because as you generate more conversions, that gives Facebook more data and they start to go out and they find the best five or 10% of people in that audience. Even if you're running a video ad, if I'm running a video ad to a webinar, maybe I'm not selling a product, but I'm getting people to register for a webinar. If I'm tracking those conversions, I will use website conversions for that objective. Now we have seen some situations if you're targeting huge audiences like mass consumer based type of products. So 
Maybe you're promoting some kind of a sport that, that has a huge audience like tennis or golf or health and fitness. Some of these big, big consumer-based audiences can do pretty well using the video view objective as long as you've got a good engaging video because you'll get the cost per view way down to sub one cent. And so definitely test both if you're doing a video ad. I would do website conversions if you can track that. And then I would also test video views and just see how they do. And you might find that it's good to have a little bit of both as well because the video view campaign will give you cheaper views and you might be able to get more reach and make a bigger brand impact that way. But you don't want to be missing out on the website conversions because you might find that your cost per conversion is a lot cheaper using that. So we just don't know. What if you're driving traffic to a blog post? Well, if you're driving traffic to a blog post, it really depends on your situation. So we've seen clicks to website as well as page post engagement work really good for driving traffic to a blog post. Now, if you boost a post right from your Facebook page itself, that's the objective called page post engagement. It's the same thing as using that objective. So boosting post is a great strategy. It gets your stuff up and running quick, and it's usually a great objective for driving traffic to content like an ungated blog post clicks to website works really well as well we've seen both win about half the time so it just depends on your situation now the other thing is is if you're driving traffic to a piece of content and you're generating a good amount of conversions so like maybe say 20 percent of people that hit that blog are clicking the johnson box we call it right it's a call to action box within that post itself or clicking a a link in your article that goes to an opt-in page, or maybe they're clicking a banner, or there's a pop-up on your site. Well, if you're getting a lot of people to opt-in, maybe if you're a lead magnet from that blog, we've seen cases where website conversions works as a great objective as well in that case. So another thing to continue to test and see what works best for you, you're not really gonna go wrong either way with when you're driving traffic into content. So pick one, see how it does, and then test another one. So the next question, uh, Deacon Bradley inside Facebook Ads University asked, he asked about lookalike audiences and kind of how often they update and do we have to update them manually and and those types of things. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer a kind of a common question as well, and then I'll get into his specific question. So first of all, a lot of people are always wondering what different sources can I create retargeting lists from? So I'm going to talk about custom audiences before I get into lookalike audiences because this is important. So a question that you really should be asking, which a lot of people don't, is what are the different sources that I can create retargeting audiences from? So for example, once you understand custom audiences really well and lookalike audiences really well, it makes it easier to come up with your strategies. First of all, you want to think about your retargeting list as a custom audience. And then you want to think about your custom audiences and your all of your traffic in general, all your targeting as warm audiences and cold audiences. That's how you want to think about it. It makes it much simpler, just warm audiences, cold audiences. So typically your retargeting list, right, which are custom audiences on Facebook, those are going to be your warm audiences. And so I'm going to list those off, the different sources that you can create custom audiences from. Number one is website visitors. So if you have the Facebook pixel on your website, you can create custom audiences based on people who visit any page that you own. You can create custom audiences based off an email list that you upload into Facebook or a phone number list that you upload into Facebook. And they're going to match that. So let's say I upload a thousand emails, then Facebook's going to match those emails and they might find about 600 of those email addresses are the same email that they use to log into Facebook. And now I have a 600 person custom audience. All right, you can create custom audiences based on app activity. So people who download your app. And a couple new ones are engagement on Facebook. 
And one of them, which we've talked about recently, is called video engagement. And now Facebook has enhanced this where you can create custom audiences or retargeting lists based off of five different consumption levels. So I can create a custom audience based off of people who watched 15 seconds of my video, who watched at least 25%, at least 50%, at least 75%, and at least 95% of my video. So that's a video engagement audience. And now a brand new one that a lot of you might not be seeing in your ads account yet is called lead ads. So now you can create custom audiences based off of people who opt in for your lead ads. So lead ads are the ads that people can opt in right in the newsfeed. So they, they click the ad and then a little light box form pops up and they can opt in right there on the ad itself. And now Facebook can automatically create an audience that you can retarget. Okay, so you don't have to upload the list back into Facebook. They they just do it for you. Now, the one thing to realize is that all of these sources of custom audiences, you can also create a lookalike audience around, which is not a warm audience. It's actually a cold audience. So I can create a 1% lookalike audience based off of my website visitors. And if it's in the US, that's going to be about 1.9 million people. And it doesn't matter how many web visitors I have, as long as I have at least 100. So let's say I've had 100 people hit my website. I can now create a cold audience. Facebook will create a 1.9 million person audience in the U.S. with similar likes, behaviors, purchasing behaviors, uh, interests, all these different types of things. And it's 1.9 million people, but it's based on my audience, my website visitors, or my email list, or my app activity, or people who have watched my video or opted in for my lead ad. You get the point, okay? Facebook is trying to help you create better cold audiences, right? And that's what these lookalike audiences do. And of course, the more data that Facebook has, the better. So if I have a list of 1,000 people, it's going to be a better lookalike audience than a list of 100, right? Now, the size of that lookalike audience is still going to be 1.9 million people, whether my audience that I use to create it is 100 or my audience is 1,000 or my audience is 100,000. It's still going to be about 1.9 million if it's in the U.S. with no other demographic filters. So other countries, it's going to be smaller. If it's in the U.K., it's going to be a little bit smaller. It's basically 1% of the entire Facebook users of that country. All right, It's just the best 1% that are the most closely related and similar to your conversions or your audiences or your list. The next one that I left out is fans. Fans are not a custom audience, but they are a warm audience. So your Facebook fans are a warm audience and you can create lookalike audiences based off of your Facebook fans. The other thing that a lot of people don't realize as well is that fans can see your ads four times a day instead of non-fans who can only see your ads two times a day in the newsfeed. So if you're running newsfeed ads, your fans can see your ads four times a day. Non-fans can only see them twice a day. And of course, you can create lookalike audiences based off your fans. So back on episode two, we talked about traffic temperatures, warm audiences, cold audiences. Molly went deep into this, and that's really how you want to think about this. Just think about cold audiences and warm audiences. And with most of your campaigns, you're going to target warm audiences and cold audiences with your with your Facebook ads. So the next question by John Carr is another great question that can be really confusing. It can be a roadblock for people. It can be a stumbling block where where you're not knowing what to do. You know, if this is you, I feel for you right now. If you're like, okay, what should I do? Should I drive traffic to my landing page? Should I drive traffic to my website, my homepage? Should I drive traffic to a blog post first? What do I do and what's the difference? 
First of all, I want to repeat what I just said. You want to just think about all your audiences as cold and warm. So in most cases, if you're just starting out and you want to get momentum, the first thing that I would recommend to do is to make sure you have a good Facebook appropriate offer. We talked about this on episodes 43 and 45. You want to have a good Facebook appropriate offer, okay, and then focus on driving traffic to that landing page. And you're going to target cold audiences, and you're also going to target warm audiences. Now, you might not have a big warm audience yet, and that's okay. Your best bang for your buck is going to be to focus on driving traffic to your opt-in, and then hopefully you can make a sale pretty quickly to at least break even and start to make a profit. However, we find that a lot of people need more time. Now, there's two things to understand here. Number one is that warm audiences, people that have already visited your website, people that have already clicked like on your page, have already watched a video, are normally always going to convert much, much better. They have already been indoctrinated by you. They've maybe seen something you've done. It depends how many times of how really warmed up to you they are. But the warm audiences are always going to work best. They're always going to give you the best ROI. So we're always trying to figure out how can we get more people to consume our content. Okay, build more goodwill, get people to read a blog post. Okay, those clicks are typically cheaper than it costs to go to an opt-in page. So a lot of times we like to spend a percentage of our traffic to a piece of content. Or if you're doing a video ad, a video ad can actually serve as the same purpose as a blog post. Because if you're doing a content-rich video ad, say it's a three to six minute video, then that can actually serve as the same purpose as a blog post can. And you can warm people up, build that trust, and then move them to your offer. So think about it as a party. If you go to a party and there's 100 people there that you all know play the piano, maybe the owner of the house, just all his friends are piano players, and you teach piano lessons. And if you show up at this party and there's 100 people there and they're all interested in piano. So if you were going to target those people on Facebook, they would all be in your target audience because for some reason they like piano or they like one of the experts in the piano industry. However, out of those 100 people, there's probably only about five to maybe 10 of them that have intent, okay, that maybe in their free time, they're looking for piano lessons. They're looking to really improve their piano skills at the moment right now. So those are going to be your hottest audiences. And even if they're a cold audience, there's, there's always going to be like a 5% to 10% a segment of that audience that's going to be your best performing audience. This is why Facebook website conversion campaigns work so well. But also, the other 90% of people, they might be a customer, but they just need more time. They just need more time. And this is where it's great to have a blog post that you can drive traffic to. So you can have maybe 20% or 30% of your budget is driving traffic to a piece of content. So those, so what you're doing is you're warming up the other 80 to 90% of people at that party because they're not going to take action no matter what, whether they trust you or not. You haven't made them aware of the problem yet that they maybe they don't know they have. That's how this works. So basically, if you're going to like pick one, you want to get momentum, build a landing page, drive traffic to that landing page. Okay. Once you start to get momentum, then you can focus on driving traffic to a piece of content. When they hit that piece of content, they're already in your warm audience. As soon as they hit there, then with your lead gen campaigns, that's going to be an audience that you're going to choose in your targeting. So they're going to get retargeted already. So if you're driving traffic into a piece of content, your lead gen campaign's already going. And so you're going to get warm audiences now, and they're going to convert better.
The reason that we use content is because there's a huge majority of people that need to be warmed up, but there's also going to be some people that don't need to be warmed up as fast. That's why you need both. You don't want to get overwhelmed and try to do it all at once. You'll get stuck. So you want to start with one, start with your offer, get it right. And then add in the content and you can start driving traffic to content. So what's happening is you have this perpetual flow of people being warmed up, but then you know they're also going to get retargeted because that warm audience, that custom audience is is going to be one of the audiences in your lead generation campaign, right? Or your your website conversion campaign that's driving traffic to a, a product that you sell. Very, very important to understand that. So you want to start with one to get momentum and then you want to have both if you can. If you don't have a blog, then just maybe use a video or a longer copy ad post, which we've talked about in previous episodes as well. What I recommend doing is going back and listening to episode number 29 and 31 and 32. Episode 29 is tell your brand story with these four ad types while still generating sales. And episodes 31 and 32 are all about Facebook video ads. Okay, and then I recommend listening to 33 and 34 as well if you want to keep going all about creating ad copy for segmented audiences. All right, so I hope that was helpful for you. Lots of great questions. Thank you again for bringing them to us. And once again, the next couple weeks are going to be some awesome stuff. Dennis Yu, who's working with the Golden State Warriors right now and has worked with some of the biggest brands and has been a pioneer in the Facebook ad space since the very beginning. And Jennifer Sheehan, who's doing stuff with the White House and worked with the Obama campaign to help get him elected and works with lots of small business owners now, helping them create a really cool strategy for getting ROI from social media. Once again, don't be afraid to go back and listen to previous episodes. If an episode is sometimes too complex the first time you listen to it, if you go back a month or two later, you might find that it makes a lot more sense to you. And we need multiple touches. We need to hear stuff and, and let stuff sink in multiple times to really get it. So, so go back and listen to those episodes that I listed and scroll through the list and look back at any episode in our feed that you might find that might be more relevant now maybe than it was to you six months ago when it first came out. So don't be afraid to do that. And once again, we love doing this for you and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Krantz, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.